Dave rolled out of bed and walked up to the breakfast table. Since he was the baby, he ate last, which meant his brothers got all the good stuff and he got the grape nuts and soy milk. Again. He choked down breakfast and scurried out the door down the drive over the hill and made it to work. But there was no time clock. No foreman checking the position of the sun to make sure he made it on time. Just a flock of sheep on the hillside, a slingshot in his pocket, and a song in his heart. David was a shepherd. Ever since David was just a little boy, just a little taller than the sheep he shepherded, he was a shepherd. But he didn't mind. It was a pretty peaceful profession, but there were a few exciting times. Once a lion, once a bear, meandered over to sample the leg of lamb, but David fought them off and killed them both. Now when his brothers heard that heroic story, surely they would upgrade him to cornflakes the next morning. Maybe today he'd fend off a wolf, or maybe a pack of wolves. He tapped his pocket to make sure his trusty slingshot was still there. It was. While David ran down his to-do list on his father's back forty, the man of God, Samuel, arrived at his house with fire in his eyes. When David's dad, Jesse, saw Samuel, he welcomed him inside. What was the prophet doing at his house? Samuel told Jesse that God had chosen one of Jesse's sons to be Israel's next king. Samuel lifted his trembling hands that held the anointing oil and was just about to pour it on Jesse's eldest son, Eliab, when God stopped him. Not him. He moved to a slightly younger brother, Abinadab. Not him. Shema? Not him. All the way down the line, from the oldest to the youngest. Not him. Nope. Try again. Next. But there was no next. All of Jesse's sons were standing there, weren't they? Maybe Samuel heard wrong. Maybe he has the wrong Jesse. Maybe he has the wrong house. He asked Jesse, are these all your sons? And Jesse shook his head. Well, no, I, I got one more. He's the youngest. He's shepherding some of my sheep. And Eliab laughed at the thought of King David. <laughs> That'll never sound right. David heard footsteps on the other side of the hill. His ears perked up. What would this be? A lion? A tiger? A bear? Oh my, it was a guy. One of his dad's servants came running over hill and dale to tell David his dad needed him. When David walked in the door, God spoke to Samuel that this young man was God's man. Samuel lifted his trembling hands again, knowing he was about to anoint the next king of Israel, while the current king of Israel still sat on the throne of Israel. His life was in danger. David's life was in danger. But God was still on his throne. David stood in the living room while all his brothers watched anointing oil drip from his head down his robe all the way to his feet to the floor. What would David do now that he had been anointed as king? Find out right after this. Hello, Simplify listeners. You are listening to L.J. Harry, and you are listening to The Son of Jesse on Simplify. Maybe David would set up his dad's chair in his room and try to reign over the family before he reigned over the nation. Surely David would march to the breakfast table and insist his sibling subjects pour him cinnamon life, the good stuff. Maybe he'd stay home and send his older brothers to keep his sheep. David still had anointing oil in his hair. He needed a business card. King David had a nice ring to it. Speaking of ring, he needed a signet ring to seal all those official letters. But David was different than the rest. David was humble. After he was anointed to be king, he went right back to watching sheep because that's what his dad needed. A while passed and someone else came rolling up to Jesse's house and 
one of those shiny suburban chariots with the royal seal on the side. Someone from the palace had heard David play the harp, and they asked him to come to play for King Saul because the king was in another one of his melancholy moods. David played his harp and calmed the king. And King Saul trusted David and appointed him as one of his personal armor-bearers. But David stayed humble. He kept commuting back and forth, working for his king, working for his dad. Then his older brothers went off to war while he stayed home with his dad and his sheep. And one day his dad sent him to deliver cold cuts to his brothers, and he listened. As Goliath defied the armies of the living God and even the God David served, David raised his hand and told King Saul, I'll fight him. His brothers laughed. David went to the king and told him how God helped him slay a lion and a bear and how God would help him slay this giant. King Saul glanced over at the volunteer table with all the banners and balloons, but nobody, nobody was standing there ready to sign up. This red-headed shepherd boy was his best option. He really wasn't, but he was their only option. But by the setting of the sun, the scoreboard read, God won, giants zero. And the men and women of Israel hoisted David on their shoulders, and they sang his song. From there, David kept playing the harp for paranoid, insecure, jealous King Saul. He went to war time and time again and won every time. He was the most admired man in Israel. Everyone loved David. Everyone except King Saul. Saul wasn't ready to give up the throne, so he played pin the spear on the shepherd boy time and time again. For better than ten years, David ran for his life from maniacal homicidal Saul. He ended up in caves in the wilderness in foreign countries trying to live just to see another day while Saul and his mighty men hunted him down. Then at the end of his run, he heard that King Saul had died in battle. All in one day, David went from being Israel's most wanted to being Israel's king. David was only Israel's second king, but he was one of the best they ever had. Under his leadership, Israel grew. Their enemies feared their armies. David set up Jerusalem as the capital. He brought the Ark of the Covenant back that symbolized the presence of God coming back to the people of God. David restored God-glorifying worship to God's people. The first part of 2 Samuel reads like a highlight reel. David had come a mighty long way from the boonies in the Bethlehem to the throne in Jerusalem. But one day, many years later, after his bright red hair grayed, David wrote a song to his own son Solomon, who would soon sit on the throne where he sat, and he closed the 72nd Psalm with the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. David, don't sell yourself short. You are so much more than just Jesse's boy. You are a master musician, the sweet psalmist of Israel. You are the king's armor bearer and giant slayer and four-star general. You are the king's son-in-law. David, you are the king. You were King David. You were a self-made man, a smashing success. Nobody thought you could do it, but you did. You put in the hours, the years. Surely you want people to keep singing your song. David has slain his tens of thousands. You're so much more than just Jesse's boy. But David realized what every one of us need to realize. All of us close our lives the way we began. And David's mind traveled back decades to a humble home too small for eight boys in a hillside with a handful of sheep, back to a simpler day when he was just Jesse's son. Another man fought the hard-fought battles, and another man made the hard-to-make decisions. Another man reigned as king. That's the way it started. That's the way it would end. And David was okay with that. Dads, moms, 
all you parents listening out there, all you young adults who are about to embark on the journey of life to look for what you're going to be and what you're going to do. When you measure your value, don't count how many business trips you take or how many invitations you get or how big the bonus is. Measure your success by your faithfulness to God and your family. If you lose your spouse and kids on the climb, you lose no matter how much money you make. Eight years ago, Pastor Stan Gleason was preaching our district conference in Cincinnati, and I love Brother Gleason. At that conference, he said something I'll always remember. He said when he gets to the end of his life, he wants to live in a way that his wife and kids will want to be there for him because he was there for them. He told us real success is having a wife who's crazy about you and kids who respect you. And I would add, hubbies, if you want your wife to be crazy about you, then you need to be crazy about her. Maybe you'll be like David, and you'll be considered a success, and everybody will know your name. If you are, stay humble. Remember, it all ends how it started. Or maybe you'll be like Jesse. The world may not see you as much. Nobody may know your name. But if you're willing to give yourself to God and your family, God in His grace may one day grace you, bless you, and use you to give the world a David. For all those fathers out there and father figures, whether it's biologically or adopted or step or in a spiritual way, where you have been a father figure to others, I say Happy Dad's Day. And I want to pray for you and pray for me that God would help us to see success the way we need to see it, that God would help us to see success as faithfulness to Him, to our family, to whatever calling He has given us, and that we would see it through His eyes and we could do His will. In Jesus' name, I pray, Lord, I thank you today for all the fathers, all those who are out there who are fathers, father figures. Thank you for all of those who invest in the next generation. I'm asking you to help us, not to feel the pressure that the world would impose on us to be successful in the way the world sees success. Help us, Lord, not to abandon our families. Help us, Lord, to care for, to love our families, our wives, our children. Help us, Jesus, to take care of those who are looking to us, depending on us, needing us. I pray, God, if you promote us, that you would help us to stay humble. I pray, God, you would use us that everything we do, we would do for your glory and not our own. And I pray, help every one of our dads be the best we can be. For all those who are not fathers, all those who are listening, help us, Lord, to see success the way you see it and live in a way that honors and glorifies you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank all of you for tuning in to Simplify. Appreciate you listening and making this a part of your devotional life. This past week, I was blessed to go down to Georgia, and I was not looking for a soul to steal. And I was excited to get to be a part of the Georgia Teen Camp 2021. So thanks to all the students and staff who made me a Buckeye feel welcome there in Bulldog country and still allowed me to minister to you and preach to you. Thanks so much, Georgia. I had a great time. Thank you for making me feel welcome. And while I was there, I was selling some copies of Simplify. If you were there and did not get a copy or if you weren't there, and still want a copy, you can get that at PentecostalPublishing.com. It is available in print, or you can get it at Kindle. It's available, of course, on your tablet or phone, or maybe even mobile fax machine, whatever device you use to read, it can be available there. Shout out to a couple of my friends who also have podcasts. Nathan and Rachel French have a podcast called Noteworthy, 
And Timothy Harvale has a podcast called Church Notes. You can listen to all those on your favorite podcast platform. And one more podcast for you to enjoy. My dear friend, Andy Burns, lieutenant with the Mount Vernon Police Department, he and I do a podcast together called The Preacher and the Policeman, in which we share the gospel through current events and add a heaping helping of humor. So I think you'll enjoy all of those different podcasts if you're looking for more to augment your devotional life. Next week, I want to share with you a devotion called The Third Army. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week. And always look forward to walking closer with our Jesus as we walk through Simplify.